This week, our guest is the famed James Grant, founder and editor of the highly influential market journal, Grant's Interest Rate Observer. Simply put, Jim is one of the most respected market analysts and historians on the planet. So when an expert like him says that today's markets are at one of the highest and most dangerous levels of speculation in history, we'd all better be paying close attention. Why does Jim say this? You're going to have to watch this video to find out. And the Fed would seem to be flying in the face of the gods. It's, it's, it's toying with the fates, it seems to me. And this does not uh, resemble anything like macroeconomic analysis. Welcome to the Wealthion.com YouTube channel. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart, and every week on this channel, we'll be making sense for you of money and the markets by bringing you the world's top experts in economics, investing, and personal finance. Now, today we continue our inaugural series of daily interviews that we're calling Insights from the Masters of Wealth, this time featuring Wall Street legend James Grant, who warns that market risk is now the highest it has ever been in history. So let's get started with that interview. But right before we do, if you could just take a quick second and subscribe to this channel, that'll help us get off to a great start here. And with that said, let's hear from James Grant. Folks, I am extremely excited for today's guest. And you can see I'm honoring him by wearing my bow tie, which I can't believe I remembered had a tie after decades of uh, the last one I'd ever tied. But uh, you already figured it out. Today's guest is Jim Grant. He's the founder and editor of the highly respected market journal, Grant's Interest Rate Observer. A historian and author, uh, he's authored a number of books on finance, economics, and politics, which make him a highly sought after expert who's appeared on 60 Minutes, the major nightly uh, network news shows, uh, the Wall Street Journal, uh, even garnering him a positive shout out in Michael Lewis's the Big Short for his warnings about the excesses that led to the 2008 great financial crisis. Jim, we're so honored that you're making time to speak with us today. Thanks so much for coming on the program. Well, Adam, you're entirely welcome. Well, it's such a pleasure. Um, Jim, let's just get started right away. As I like to do with our guests, uh, without introducing any of my own personal biases, could you just... Uh, Tell us, what is your assessment of today's financial markets, um, speaking to their integrity, or, or just however they strike you? Well, they are um, uh, very, very spirited. Um, up seems to be the prevailing direction. And uh, I'm reminded a little bit of, um, of an old tune, and the lyrics uh, of which go something like, it is only a paper moon uh, sailing over a cardboard sea and and the paper moon and the cardboard sea would connote to me uh, the massive uh, uh, federal intervention into our economy and particularly the, the monetary side. That's not to downplay entirely uh, the irrepressible spirit of American enterprise and the uh, wondrous efforts of scientists uncounted worldwide to uh, deliver us a vaccine to spare us of this plague. None of the good things, I don't mean to diminish uh, at all, what I do mean to emphasize that we have never seen anything the likes of today's monetary intervention. And that intervention must account for a great deal of this, uh, what's the word, I guess, zoom, zooming to the upside. It's quite remarkable. And uh, I, I don't want to leave you here, but as, as you say, uh, use terms like remarkable and you talk about the great intervention, um, 
does that make you concerned about where things are headed? Is, is this sustainable, I guess? Um, you know, should we well, be I, I, yeah. A little bit. I, 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 in a way, I come pre-concerned. I have a skeptical outlook on the world, I suppose, and uh, I am inclined to look first at risk and secondly to uh, uh, to reward. Um, uh, but I, I am concerned. Yes, I'm also uh, uh, fascinated and uh, intrigued by things we have never seen before. We have the lowest interest rates in 5,000 years in the authority of a book called The History of Interest Rates, which Adam, I suspect you have by your bedside, but you must open it and read it in addition, just possessing it. And oh, we have... all the time. <laughs> and we have... Uh, oh, we have, we have um, a zero percent interest rates at the short end. It's kind of a new thing. It's not unique, but what is unique, as well as the lowest rates in 5,000 years, is is the institution of nominal yields, that is to say, posted in your newspaper bond yields of less than zero. They pertain mostly in Japan and Europe, and uh, so that's, uh, they do bear on our markets as well. And we have another thing, which is uh, uh, free equity trading. So if you add up free stock trading, uh, no interest rates, um, you come up with a, a pretty uh, powerful uh, indeed, uh, unprecedented uh, instigation to speculate. So what we are seeing is savers becoming speculators and, uh, and speculators becoming day traders. So that the, uh, you know, it's a, a terrifically exciting and speculative and frothy environment. And uh, there's a lot to like about that. I, I, I myself prefer the, um, the value-laden opportunity presented by despond at low prices. Uh, personal preference uh, but uh, this is one of these episodes that we'll look back upon and say oh yeah wasn't that something it's fabulous <laughs> it's it's it is a it is a boom uh, one can argue and one i suppose will argue about uh, nomenclature i would say it's uh, knocking on the door of a of a vast bubble uh, but i don't mean to uh, uh to say it's not fun <laughs> okay well you know we've seen uh, well, we have a number, number of people who watch these videos who feel like we have seen this movie before, um, even in relatively recent memory, both you know, with the housing boom leading up to the great financial crisis and then with the dot-com boom era before that. Oh, sure, yes. Yeah. The booms are always fun. Um, it's the hangover of the bust that's always uh, you know, the painful thing that, uh, that nobody likes to go through. So uh, you, your answer there just sparked probably three or four questions in my mind, Jim, but what, why don't I start with this one? Um, because you wrote a really great piece in the Wall Street Journal back in April, I think, called uh, The High Cost of Low Interest Rates. And you, in it, you sort of expound on the damage that persistent rock-bottom interest rates um, can have in terms of boosting asset prices, perhaps to unsustainable speculative highs, or encouraging excessive risk-taking or malinvestment. Um, historically speaking, how bad is what we're seeing right now compared to, to other speculative bubbles? Uh, I mentioned some recent oh, ones. Sure. Yeah. You, you know a bunch of these. Well, it's way up there. I would say this is at the extreme level of, uh, of misdirection through interest rates. Imagine uh, that interest rates uh, are, are, well, they are prices, but imagine that they are like a kind of traffic signals uh, directing investment and the allocation of, of uh, savings generally. And if you turn all those traffic lights green, what you find eventually is pileups at the intersections and uh, 
a lot of uh, work for the uh, body and fender shops. Uh, we haven't seen, uh, the, we have seen some of the pileups. We are invited to imagine them on the basis of what has come before us in financial history. As long ago as the 1850s and 60s, there was a, uh, a British thinker and doer about uh, finance. His name was Walter Badgett, and he was kind of the godfather of contemporary central banking. And Badgett, alluding to the uh, national symbol of Great Britain, said that John Bull, he said, John Bull can stand anything, uh, but he can't stand 2%, by which he meant that very low interest rates instigate uh, the misallocation of uh, savings and the speculation and things that one wishes later one had not speculated on. So he meant positive 2% to Walter Badgett, and today we have, you know, somewhere it's not quite minus 2%, but the point survives the exaggeration. We have zero and sub-zero rates the world over the two, I suppose, of more than $15 trillion worth of bonds at a price to yield less than nothing. Um, so what does this mean in real life? Well, if you if you want $50,000 a year of savings, and if rates were 5%, $1 million would deliver that $50,000, 5% of a million being 50,000. But if the rate in question were one half of 1%, or 50 basis points, you would need, what, $20 million to generate uh, $20 million? I guess, you know, I'm like Joe Biden. I just said, uh, no, you would need, uh, $10 million, the witness checked his, um, uh, his uh, prepared text, his notes. $10 million gets you $50,000 at an interest rate of one half of 1%. So that means that paradoxically, rather than stimulating consumption and activity, uh, in many ways, low rates stimulate the opposite. They force people to lay aside more to generate the same income because you need more capital. It's, you can think of this as, as kind of a hyperinflation in the cost of retirement. And when rates get very, very low, as some of the bond bulls hope they will, uh, you need uh, much more than uh, 10 million. You know, you need a 25, one quarter of 1%, I think you need, what, $20 million. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a, and you know, and, and low rates, uh, uh, perpetuate the unwarranted lives of companies that really aren't making it. We call them zombie companies, and they, they don't quite earn enough to pay off their interest rates, their, their interest charge, but uh, the banks are accommodating, the bond markets are accommodating, they get more debt, they pay off some more interest expense, and their lives are perpetuated. But because they live, uh, new companies with perhaps better ideas, more dynamic management, they don't come into existence. So, you know, these very low rates contribute in, in a way to kind of a molasses uh, effect in our economy. It's a, lack, it's a visible lack of dynamism uh, and has been in place in the past 10 or 12 years. So low rates are not everything they are cracked up to be. Wow. Very well put. Um, I'm going to ask you a question I actually hadn't prepared, but um, uh, so low rates act as this molasses on the economy. And you said that they, they resulting in a sort of a hyperinflation in the cost of retirement, right? That people that, that previous generations who would expect to be able to retire on a fixed income based upon their savings, they now need to save an awful lot more to be able to get any sort of real income off of that savings. And, and the question that I have here is, um, uh, you know, there's a big wealth inequality gap going on right now that, that 
these low interest rates and Fed intervention is, is exacerbated. Right. But there's also, and this is the question, um, because of this hyperinflation of the cost of retirement, you're seeing this big divide in advantage between people who are on a pension and people who aren't. The people who aren't who saved are now getting much less off of those savings. But people who are getting a pension, it's almost like, you know, if you're getting a $50,000 pension, that's what, by your math, like having $10 million in the bank, right? So I'm, I'm just curious if you have any sort of thoughts that are we going to see an additional sort of social tension between people that are getting a pension versus people who save the old fashioned way and are now getting disadvantaged because of these low interest rates. Yes, I think there is a kind of an envy vector at work in our investment markets in many ways. One source of mobilized or weaponized jealousy is, of course, social media. Uh, but Adam, you hit on another one with regard to the divide between those on a defined benefits plan, they are getting the benefits they signed up for, and those who are on a defined contribution plan. They get to contribute as much as they can, but they are assured of no benefit. But notice that the assurance of a benefit is ultimately contingent upon the laws of arithmetic and the availability of the promised returns in the markets themselves. You know, in California, you saw recently the uh, chief investment officer, I think it's no longer with CalPERS, he uh, came out and said, you know, what we have to do, we, what we have to do is, is borrow money with which uh, to invest in more private equity, private equity being a highly encumbered or debt burdened form of uh, stock investment. It's not the public market, it's the private market. There's a lot of debt involved, right? So in England, uh, the professors, many of them have a defined benefit plan, but lo and behold, the company that's sponsoring those defined benefits is telling them, you must pony up much more of your income and to the universities, you must contribute much more of the professor's salaries to make ends meet. So there's the benefits are seemingly guaranteed, but they are guaranteed only to the extent they can, can you know, be rested or, or prized uh, from these kind of begrudging financial markets. And why the markets are grudging is because they have been jacked up so high through, uh, through many ways, through monetary interventions. So you think, it, so yeah, so the markets are so high, isn't that great? Well, yes, it's so great if you had been in them but it's not so great if you are investing in them, quite the contrary, because your returns necessarily are constrained by the valuations in place. You can't expect stocks trading at 25 times earnings to deliver the same ultimate return as you can, or you could by stocks trading at 10 times earnings. Similarly, in the bond market. So this is a very complicated thing, but uh, Adam, to your question, is this contributing to the astringency of our politics and the and the resentment in our social lives, yes, yes, indeed. The Fed denies it. I, I think that uh, their denials ring hollow, uh, but uh, it's certainly a part of it. I, I, I wish people would pay more attention to it. Yeah. So uh, and we've talked with a number of guests on, on this program in previous weeks about how um, you know, the, the Fed's policies are, are leading to you know, a lot of the, the social anger that's going on here. And, and we, you know, we've said that until people connect the injustice that they're feeling with the Fed act, the Fed's actions, um, until they do, the status quo is just going to continue. In other words, this is until they realize the Fed's not the hero of the story, which is the Fed is portraying itself to be. Yes, and, and I, you I, know, I, Adam, what? you've used the turn of, of uh, the arsonist, uh, you know, the, the firefighter who's being celebrated, even though they're the arsonist that started the fire. 
Right. Yeah. This this is the uh, yes. And um, the the thread is this is this uh, this closed system. It's this clerisy, this priesthood. And all the academic economists are pro-Fed. And uh, and for one reason, Fed is I think is the is the biggest employer of PhD economists in the country. Has uh, many hundreds of them on the payroll. And um, you know Judy Shelton, who was the uh, this controversial uh, Trump nominee for a spot in the Federal Reserve Board, has seemingly not got the votes. If she had the votes, she, the Senate would have voted on it. So she's on the cusp of succeeding or failing in the administration's bid to place her on the Fed. But her her view is that. Uh, you know, the dollar uh, for most of the history of this country was defined as a certain something, weight of silver, weight of gold. In any case, it was defined in law as a thing. And uh, since 1971, the dollar has no longer been that thing or derived from that thing. It has been whatever the uh, we collectively agree it is, uh, more particularly what the central banks mean to produce in the way of the quality of dollars. And uh, and what the markets choose to value that currency. Oh, this is a complicated way of saying the dollar is uh, is lighter than air. It is immaterialized. And we don't mind it so much because after Wall Street loves it because so many dollars make the markets go up so well. And uh, many, many people on Wall Street owe their considerable, almost dynastic fortunes uh, to this uh, feckle thing of a this feckle currency. You know, it's a it's uh, it is uh, producible seemingly in infinite numbers. I mean, uh, the Fed materializes. You know, the Fed materializes dollars, and some guy sitting on the keyboard, like I'm, I'm not sitting on the keyboard, I'm, I'm dog like this, and bingo, a trillion dollars comes into existence. That's what they do. And so far, it has been lovely. The inflation that it has created has been the kind of inflation that almost nobody uh, resents. It's called a bull market. And uh, that inflation seemingly is absolutely uh, separate and distinct from the possibility of those dollars seeping into uh, life as we live it on Main Street and winding up at the checkout counter in the form of a higher cost of buying stuff. Well, maybe that's going to end. I think I think there's a chance that uh, all of this so-called stimulus is going to finally express itself in the rate of rise in the consumer price index that will surprise everybody, especially the authorities in the Federal Reserve Board. This is a very, very unpopular, indeed obscure opinion, obscure because it has been uh, utterly wrong for as long as it has been enunciated. But uh, that's one of the potential surprises that awaits us, a CPI that uh, will not obey instructions and it rises much above the Fed's 2% target. Okay, so uh, you're heading into the territory that I, I want to conclude with here, and I want to be respectful of your time because you've, uh, you've already given us so much of it. Um, but uh, so I guess the first question is, is you know, wh where is all this headed? And you just mentioned that the Fed may actually succeed beyond its, its wildest expectations here in terms of trying to hit its, its inflation target, it may hit it and then, then go far beyond it. So in terms of just sort of what you see is most likely here. Is it sort of an inflationary spiral from here or is it a deflationary crash with overinflated markets? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, um, let me first uh, reassert the, uh, the truth that ought to be obvious, which is that uh, we can know the present. We can only handicap the odds of events in the future. The future is a closed book. Uh, my proof, I have proved that to my readers, to their con certainly their satisfaction over the years. But, but, 
I would say that uh, we're going to look back on this era and we're going to say, what did we expect? You know, it took the federal government about 185 years on uh, from Alexander Hamilton to Ronald Reagan to uh, amass the first trillion dollars of uh, public debt. It, it took us the month of April in the throes of the so-called stimulus attended upon our pandemic to generate the marginal trillion dollars in public debt. So the public debt describes an exponential function now. Uh, the, the Fed uh, has produced a rate of rise in the money supply that in the shape of M2, one of the broader measures, is up 25% or so year over year. The Fed's balance sheet is up 80 odd percent year over year. The Fed says it wants to induce inflation. I mean, these things, I mean, the Fed would seem to be flying in the face of the gods. It's, it's, it's toying with the fates, it seems to me. And this does not uh, resemble anything like macroeconomic analysis. I invite the the viewers and the listeners to this program say, well, what would we expect? Wouldn't we expect, especially when everyone's looking the other way, there's all this talk about deflation, all this talk about the, the absence of sufficient uh, stimulus. So I'm saying that uh, why not at least investigate the alternative possibilities? Energy stocks are trading at near all-time lows with respect to the broader market. Uh, this, this, I'm not going uh, to to prescribe in course of investment action. I think you have authorities in your show standing by that would do a much better job of that. But all I'm inviting people to do is consider uh, the seemingly impossible, but actually not at all impossible alternative to the narrative that Wall Street is very happily spinning. That narrative being, uh, let us buy bonds because 2% is going to be more than enough in this view, in this world of, of the perfect alignment of supply and demand and of the, uh, of the splendid foresight of our monetary masters. No, no, that, that, that might be, that might be true. Uh, but I'm saying it's the odds on that outcome, I think are very low and at least investigate the alternative. And with that, Adam, I will stop preaching. <laughs> okay. Well, um, all right, putting you in the hot seat here for a second. Um, if you were magically, if the debates were magically declared over and the country said, we want Jim Grant in charge, are there any policies that would be at the top of your list to start implementing? I think, the, yeah, the first thing we'll do, I, I would say, uh, look, I'm the new Fed chairman, um, you know, deal with it. And I would say um, that we have generated a, uh, an economy that is very susceptible, very fragile, to cyclical bumps in the road because there is so much debt. These companies are up to their eyeballs in it. That's why we can't lift rates. So my first job, ladies and gentlemen, as Fed chairman is to a little frank talk about where we are. Now, what I'm going to propose to you as Fed chairman is if we get back to treating interest rates, these critical prices in our capital system as prices to be discovered in the marketplace and not imposed from on high. To that end, I'm going to withdraw any assurance that Wall Street might have hoped for that we are going to control rates. No, we're going to let supply and demand take rates up or down or sideways. We are going to take our thumb off the scale of our capital markets. And I am not going to guarantee you a direction for the movement in stock prices. They might go down. Everyone must look to his or her own risk tolerance and let us get back to the discovery of prices in the market and away from the administrative administration of prices for the benefit, mind you, of those who don't need 
the benefit. That's my speech. Are you still happy you appointed me Fed Chairman? Too bad uh, I'm uh, here for five years. <laughs> We've got <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm 74 years old, so there's always nature, Mother Nature. Don't despair, ladies and gentlemen. But I'm your Fed Chairman. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thank you, Jim. That was great. Well, look, as we wrap up here, um, first again, thanks so much for, for taking so much time and giving us so many of your insights here. Um, uh, just in parting, this isn't personal financial advice, um, but we have a lot of people watching this program who I think think similarly to you and are you know definitely very inspired by your, your work and what you said today. What general advice or recommendations would you have to them? You mentioned looking for some of the things that are out of favor, like uh, you know energy stocks. I know in the past. Well, I, you know, I, Adam, I, I would I'm going to demure a little bit on this. We have uh, uh, subscribers who pay what they think is a fancy price, what I know to be a most reasonable price for the specific ideas that we generate. And we're in the idea because you know, they say that the internet information wants to be free. No, mine doesn't. Mine, <laughs> mine wants to pay the, the rent. I will give you two examples. We've been looking, for example, in the, in the very dry ground, and the, you know, this, this, this uh, uh, topsoil free cropland of interest rates. And we have been finding some things to look at in closed and municipal bond funds that are trading at steep discounts to net asset value. We have been looking at some bank preferred stocks. Those are, so what we try to do is to look where others aren't and we try to look for cheap things where there's a margin of safety. And great. that's, uh, you know, yeah. Okay. That makes great Good sense. to talk. In a second, I'm going to ask uh, where people can go to, to subscribe if they're interested. Before I do, one last uh, sort of asset question, and it's just a general question, but it's an asset that's of, of strong interest to our uh, viewership. And you've commented on it publicly where you said that you believe that gold has a bright future going forward, probably because of the concerns you just mentioned about inflation and, and uh, continued monetary. Yes. Let me say this, if I may say this about gold. Gold is, uh, is money. It is meant to yield nothing. That is to say, it, uh, it returns just as much as most bonds do with respect to income. Uh, bonds these days, that is. Uh, but, you know, it's got no price earnings ratio. Uh, it is a speculative asset. I have, uh, so old am I, I have in my lifetime, it's traded at $35, not traded, it has been pegged or has been uh, legislated at $35 an ounce. I've seen it at 2000 as we all have recently. I bought my first Krugerrand while standing in line, this is a rookie era, 1980, paying the top price of $850. Wow. I didn't get back to even for years. So this is not a risk-free asset, but I think that gold, the price of gold is, is, a, is, a, is a fine, fine hedge against the depredations of our central bankers. And I believe it as a place in a portfolio, which should not necessarily dominate a portfolio. You buy it knowing that if things go right in the world, as things occasionally do, this could pay back to a thousand. And you don't want to be in the position of owning everything you have in the form of gold bullion if it happens that way. But yes, I believe that, uh, that gold, the price of gold to me is the reciprocal of the world's faith and trust in the central bankers, that faith and trust in my mind is misplaced. Therefore, I think that gold will do well is an opinion. That's all it is, it's an opinion. All right, well, thanks so much for sharing that. And again, thanks so much for coming on, Jim. It's been wonderful. For people that wanna 
follow you further, learn more about you and your work, potentially subscribe, where's the best place for them to go? Oh, just, just go to uh, the website they find in the yellow pages, Grants Interest Rate Observer. Great, and we'll put the URL up here on okay. the screen so folks can get there easily. Uh, Jim, a real okay. pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, thank we'll you, Adam. At some point in the future, and, and again, thank you so much. It's been a delight. Thank you.